My text today is Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 to 22. And the Apostle Paul, who I believe is the writer to the uh, Hebrews, says these words. He says, Therefore, my brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, watch this please, access into the presence of the Father is now available for us, which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, uh, full in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There are seven great priorities that God has for the church and they are presented to us in the form of seven feasts that God gave to Israel to observe. These feasts can be viewed from the, po the point of view of history or historic point of view, but the, the few, full essence of the feast must be viewed from a spiritual perspective. What these seven feasts represent are seven priorities that form the divine blueprint of God's grand master plan. And they're listed for us in the 23rd chapter of the book of Leviticus, where God gave Moses a miniature of the timeline of his, of his plan. So allow me to list these seven feasts, explain them briefly, and then zero in on one of the feasts. We have, first of all, the Feast of Passover. The second feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The third feast is the Feast of First Fruits. The fourth is Pentecost. The fifth is the Feast of Trumpets. The sixth is the Day of Atonement. And the seventh is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the first feast is the Feast of Passover and everything in heaven and on earth was dependent on Jesus fulfilling this feast, dying on the cross and becoming our Passover lamb. Everything in God's kingdom is built on this one sacrifice, hallelujah. This is the main foundation stone of heaven and it, we will circle back to this in a few moments. The second feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this feast was celebrated immediately after Passover and it speaks of the desire in the heart of God to have fellowship and unbroken communion with us because our sins are now covered. Now, understand God does not condone our sins, but what He has done is He has made provision for our sin to be covered in order that you and I may draw near to Him. So instead of our sin and our failure, when He looks at us, he sees us blameless and righteous because of the blood. Now, you got to remember that when we look to God, we're looking at the underside of the blood. But when God looks down on us, He looks at the top side of the blood. He sees this amazing covering because of the blood. And the message here is stay under the blood. Hallelujah. The third feast is the Feast of First Fruits. And it represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only is He alive, He will raise all who love Him, all who follow Him, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I personally believe that you need to have a personal witness in your heart that you are part of the resurrection as well. Amen. The fourth feast is Pentecost. I don't really need to talk about this because it's the Acts chapter 2 experience. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, evidence with speaking in other tongues and living in the fullness of the Spirit. My friends, if you're not baptized yet in the Holy Ghost, if you don't speak in tongues yet, I want to encourage you to ask God before this meeting is over. Oh God, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the game changer in your life. Amen. The fifth feast is the Feast of Trumpets. And this is where I think the global church is right now, globally, prophetically. It is the good news of the gospel going forth to every nation, every ethnicity, every creature. And I've not seen in my lifetime the urgency and the push I see today 
to bring the gospel to every creature. Everyone is talking about the good news. Everyone is talking about finishing the task. Everybody is talking about the great commission being fulfilled. It's like there's a general, general mobilization of God's army because the trumpets of heaven are being sounded. Hallelujah. The sixth feast is the day of atonement. And this feast was a time of reconsecration, renewal, and recommitment to holiness. Again, this is only possible because of the blood of Jesus. Only by the blood can we be made clean and holy. And holy living needs to be emphasized and re-emphasized over and over again in the church. The seventh feast is the Feast of Tabernacles which represents this grand harvest at the end of the age that will culminate in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, I tell you, there is a buzz in heaven right now. All of heaven is excited and preparing for this one event that is coming, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ on planet Earth. And those of us who belong to Him ought to be preparing ourselves for this great event as well. Amen. But for now, for now, allow me just to focus on the Feast of Passover. And again, I want to say that this is the foundation stone of heaven. The death, the sacrifice, and the blood of Jesus are the most important things to God in this entire universe. Jesus, the Passover lamb, is the central truth of the Bible. His sacrifice is at the very core of the gospel. And I want to tell you there's no other truth that occupies a greater place and a greater importance in the heart of the Father than the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the bloodline of God. When Jesus shed His blood and ascended into heaven, He carried His own blood and sprinkled it, not just on the mercy seat of heaven, but He sprinkled it on every book in heaven and the handwriting that was against us was removed and covered, hallelujah, so that when God looks at all the books that bears our names, the sins that we've committed will no longer be there because God made an incredible promise to us in the Old Testament. He said their sins, I will remember no more, hallelujah. Everything that we now are, desire, hope to be one day in the future, is all predicated on the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. What makes His blood so precious, my friends? Did you know that 73 years before Jesus was crucified, along the Appian Way from Capua to Rome, they crucified 6,000 Roman slaves. 6,000 Roman slaves. In AD 70, the Roman general Titus sacked Jerusalem and every day crucified 500 Jewish men and women on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. Every single day, he crucified so many people till there was not a single square foot of place to put another cross. And all that blood that flowed on the hills of Judea combined could not even forgive one single sin, not even a white lie. Since Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, 65 million babies have been aborted. Think of the opportunities those babies could have had. They weren't given a chance to live, experience the full life on earth and the innocent blood cries for justice and rightly so. But all that innocent blood could not even atone for one single sin. But five quarts of blood from Jesus' veins could forgive the sins of everyone who's ever been born. Hallelujah. 
When you put all of humanity on one side of the scale and you put Jesus on the other side of the scale, He weighs more than all of humanity combined. When He hung on that Roman cross for six hours, those six hours was enough to bear the sins of everyone who had ever lived. How is it possible? How is it possible that just five quarts of blood can forgive the sins of mankind? Well, I tell you what, the worth of blood is determined by the value of the life that carries the blood. For instance, my blood is worth far more than the blood of a cat or a chicken because I'm worth more to God than an animal. The blood of a human being is worth far more than the blood of an animal because of what the blood represents. But the blood of, that was in Jesus is indescribably of far greater value. It wasn't just that the fact that Jesus carried the blood. The Bible says that in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I tell you this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were fully invested in the blood, hallelujah. His blood is the most precious commodity in the universe. It's precious because it is untainted, it is pure, it is divine. Not a single drop will ever be lost. It's still as powerful, it's still as efficacious, and it still speaks 2,000 years later today. His blood has the power to forgive and cleanse all sin all of all mankind and for all time. Ladies and gentlemen, stand up with me, please, very quickly. I see some of you tired, hallelujah. Stand up and for the next 30 seconds, just thank the Lord for His blood. Come on, just praise the Lord. Give the Lord a big clap offering and praise Him. Come on, everybody, praise Him for the blood. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Just to thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I have communion every day because I want to honor the blood. Hallelujah. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. You may be seated in the presence of God. God gave us many examples in the Old Testament of the blood covering. So allow me to take you through a crimson trail that runs right through the Bible. We begin in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, the first thing God did was to kill an innocent animal and, and skin it. And with the skin dripping with blood, covered Adam and Eve as a picture of what he would one day do himself. We find Abel then offering an offering to God that was more the excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Abel offered a sacrifice that God required, a sacrifice of blood. And this was to indicate that apart from blood, we cannot approach God, neither can we have fellowship with Him. After the flood, we find Noah, who offered to God a sacrifice of clean animals in order that fellowship with Him might be restored. And God accepted the, the sacrifice and made a covenant with Noah. Then in Genesis chapter 22, one of the greatest chapters of the whole Bible, we see God commanding Abraham to offer his son, his only son Isaac, on the altar of Mount Moriah. And this was a shadow that God would one day offer His own son on the same place where Abraham offered Isaac. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, God commanded each family in Israel to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and to sprinkle the blood of that lamb on the doorposts and the lintels of their homes so that when the angel of death saw the blood, he would pass over it and in one evening, God delivered three million people from the iron furnace that was called Egypt and from the hands of Pharaoh, who was a type of Satan. I tell you this, when, they, when the angel saw the blood, he passed over, 
He didn't peek into the house. He didn't peek into the house to see if anyone was worthy. He didn't peek into the house to see if someone was, was, um, was having faith. If he saw the blood, he passed over. Amen. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. The sin I will remember no more. When God forgives, He forgets. His forgiveness deals with the removal of the very memory of our sin in God's mind. That when you sin and you say, God, will you forgive me, please? I made a mistake and I'm confessing and I'm forsaking the sin. Immediately, the memory of the sin is blotted out from His mind. So that when you go to Him a second time, He says, what are you talking about? The very memory of the sin has been blotted out because the blood has the ability to remove memory from God's mind, hallelujah, of our sin. Come on, come on, hallelujah. There's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. But for the blood to be effective in our lives, you've got to confess the blood. You've got to decree the blood. Let me explain this to you. If you grew up in the charismatic or Pentecostal circles like I did, the chances are you would have heard the term plead the blood. What does it mean when you say plead the blood? Well, it goes back to the original Pentecostal days in Azusa Street when the leader, a man called William Seymour, would plead the blood of Jesus over those who were sick and God would heal all of them. Pleading the blood is not begging God to do something. Pleading the blood has nothing to do with fear. It's an activation of faith of what happened 2,000 years. You go back and time travel 2,000 years and you activate the faith in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us at Calvary. It's asking God to do what Jesus' blood has already accomplished. Pleading the blood declares to the devil that you are a child of God. It's like putting a no trespassing sign and says, that says, you can't come in here, hallelujah. You don't have authority in this place. I tell you this, my friends, when you plead the blood of Jesus, you touch the very core of the heart of the Father because to the Father, the blood is personal. Personal. And there's nothing more powerful than placing your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if you can understand how powerful the blood is, boy, I tell you, we can start to see a lot of victories here in Cornerstone. When you learn how to plead the blood. Now, the biblical practice of applying the blood goes all the way back in the Old Testament. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle it on the altar, the mercy seat, and God would forgive and cover the sins of the people. But in the book of Exodus, the blood was administered on the night of the Passover to protect the people from the angel of death. Let me read this scripture. Exodus 12, 13, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the blood shall not, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. On the Passover evening, the children of Israel were instructed to do several things. Now watch this, this is really important. Firstly, at a certain time, they were to slay an unblemished lamb and drain the blood into a basin. Now, please listen to me. The blood in the basin couldn't save or protect a single soul. It had to be sprinkled on the doorposts and the lintels of every Jewish home. And God commanded only one way to sprinkle the blood and that was a 
plant that was called hyssop. It was a common plant, a small but common plant that you'll find all across the Middle East. And it was the hyssop that would be dipped in the basin of blood. And with the hyssop, they would sprinkle this blood on the doorposts and on the lintels of the home. Now, hyssop is the word of our testimony. It is our confession of what the blood has done when we testify what the Word of God says, the blood of Jesus has done for us. We are using the hyssop to sprinkle the blood. And that's why David can say in Psalm 51, verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop has always to do, it's always associated with purging and with cleansing. So the children of Israel used the hyssop to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts of their homes what they were doing is they, in actuality, they were confessing their faith in the blood and the result was God protected them from the plague. Come on. But the, but the blood that Jesus spilled didn't just merely cover our sins or wash us. His blood has the power to remove the very memory of our sins as well. And God says, your sins I will remember no more. Let God etch that and burn that in your memory. Cauterize it in your memory so that you will never forget that your sins He remembers no more. Hallelujah. And through faith and confession, the blood is applied in our lives. The second thing about this was a lamb was to be provided for each household. Simply meaning that if one person in the household gets saved, then we have the right to ask God to save everyone else in our household. That's why Paul could say to the Philippian jailer, if you believe, both you and your household, all your household shall be saved. My friends, what good is it if I get to heaven and my entire family don't make it to heaven? What kind of heaven would it be? What kind of heaven would it be for me if my whole family goes to hell? I tell you this, when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on that judgment day, He will ask you this question, and where is your family? Where is your family? Because the moment you get saved, you are responsible to pray your family into the kingdom of God. I told a story about George Mueller, who was given the assignment to pray for five people in his life, unbelievers. Every day he would pray for them without fail, whether he was on a ship, whether he was on land, walking, whether he was sick, whether he was well, whether he was preaching or resting, he would never stop to pray for these five people. 18 months after he first started praying, the first one got saved. Five years later, the second one got saved. Six years after the second one got saved, 11 years has passed. And now three of them are in the kingdom of heaven. And for the next 36 years, every day, George Mueller would pray for the last two remaining people to get saved. Somebody asked him, George, do you believe that they will ever get saved? He said, how, can, how else could it be? He says, I'm praying for them. They will undoubtedly be saved. <laughs> On his funeral, those two men received Jesus Christ as their Savior. God is not a debtor. He owes you nothing, hallelujah. But if you would cry out and pray for your family, my friends, He is faithful. He's, fa He's not a man that He should lie, nor the son of man that He should repent. If you pray and ask Him, Lord, save my family. Oh, my friends, He wants to bring all your family members into the kingdom, hallelujah. One person is saved in order for the whole family to get saved. God is the God of families. Salvation, protection, healing are intended for the entire family. 
I pray for my family every day. I pray John 17 over my family every day. I plead the blood of Jesus over them every single day. I name them by name every day before the Lord. I pray for His blood. I pray for His protection. I pray for His angels to cover them. I pray for the, the hedge of protection around them. My friends, it is your responsibility to pray for your families. Come on. Never be ashamed of pleading and proclaiming the blood of Jesus. Make much about the blood in our worship, in our preaching, in our praise. Here's a picture. I showed you this about two years ago during the Passover service, but it's worth repeating. This is a painting by the famous Spanish painter, Salvador Dali. It's a famous painting of Christ on the cross. Can you tell me what's wrong with this picture? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong. There's not a single drop of blood on Jesus or on the, on the, on the cross. And Salvador Dali gave the reason that the blood would mar his masterpiece. He had no idea that the blood was the masterpiece. It would, that the blood of Jesus is the masterpiece. He had no understanding of the price Jesus paid for us at Calvary. My friends, without the blood, we would all be lost in our sins. Without the blood, none of us will go to heaven. Without the blood, without the blood we'll all go to hell. The fire in the Old Testament only came down on a blood-soaked altar. But you know, many people don't want to preach about the blood today. In fact, in many of the modern songs, they removed the word blood and they replaced it with sacrifice. They don't want to scare the people. They want to sanitize Jesus. They want to aesthetically appealing Jesus to be preached. But my friends, it is the bleeding, wounding, dying Jesus who is our Savior, our Healer, and our Redeemer. Hallelujah. The blood that we are, the gospel that we're called to preach is a blood-soaked gospel and that's the only gospel that the Holy Ghost will affirm. The devil hates the blood. He wants people to think that the blood is socially unacceptable. I know sometimes people recoil at the sight of blood. But I tell you, without the blood, there is no hope for us. There is nothing that comes remotely close to the blood of Jesus in this whole universe. It has the power to do one thing and one thing alone that nothing else can do. It has the power to wash us from our sin. The human heart has a terminal disease. It's, it's desperately wicked. It cannot be reformed. Cannot be, it cannot be uh, enlightened or educated. It can only be washed from its crippling sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me take this to a landing. Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame, they defeated him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. How do we defeat Satan? By pleading the blood, testifying what the blood has done for us. No matter what the circumstances are, disease, temptation, addiction, there is power in the blood to reverse every curse over our lives. Paul said in 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, I believe, therefore I speak, hallelujah. When the enemy tries to attack you, your thoughts with fear or torment and even lust, plead the blood. When Satan brings guilt, shame and condemnation, plead the blood. Say the blood of Jesus has cleansed me. I'm a new creation in Christ and my past life and sins no longer exist, hallelujah. Plead the blood over your families. Plead the blood over your life. Plead the blood over your children, over your work, over your business. Derek Prince used to say this, the more we confess the blood, the more effective it becomes in our lives. It's not that the blood becomes more effective. It's the confession of faith that strengthens our faith in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Do this every day. Every day. Come on. 
Plead the blood of Jesus over your life, over your family. Apply the blood around them, around them as a hedge of protection. Tell the devil, you cannot cross this bloodline. Walk through every room of your home today when you go back. Plead the blood of Jesus. I want to teach you a prayer and I want you to recite this prayer after me and I think you've got to stand up doing this. You can't sit down and pray. You know, the Bible says in the presence of two or three witnesses, a matter is, is, is confirmed. And I wanted you to stand and pray this prayer in agreement. I'm going to say this prayer. I, I took it from John Hagee uh, in America, but it's a powerful prayer. And I want to teach you this prayer. And then we're going to recite this prayer together. This is the prayer. Satan, we command you in the mighty name of Jesus, by the power of the shed blood and the authority of his word, you are a defeated foe. Get your hands off my marriage. Get your hands on my family. Get your hands on my health. Get your hands on my finances. Get your hands on my business. Get your hands on my church. I belong to the living God. I'm a property of the Most High. Jesus has purchased me through His blood. So in the authority of Jesus' name, be gone. In other words, get lost. Are you guys ready? I want you to repeat after me. Satan, we command you in the mighty name of Jesus. By the power of His shed blood and the authority of His Word. You are a defeated foe. Get your hands off my marriage. Get your hands off my family. Get your hands off my health. Get your hands off my finances. Get your hands off my business. Get your hands off my church. I belong to the living God. I am the property of the Most High. Jesus has purchased me through His blood. So in the name of Jesus, be gone. Hallelujah. Give God praise. Amen. Give God praise. Learn to pray this prayer. You may be seated. I close with this powerful illustration of Job. Job was the most righteous man of his generation. We're told that there was a hedge of protection around his life. And God was out to pick a fight with Satan. Hallelujah. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Woo! Now, it was the bloodline that protected Job and all that belonged to him. And how was that edge of protection built? It was built by blood, the establishment of sacrifice. It says in Job 1.5 that Job continually offered the sacrifice for his children. In other words, he would regularly apply the blood upon their lives. Now, from the narrative, it seemed like Job's children did not live for God. They, they enjoyed the party life. They didn't have the same standards for righteousness as the father had. But Job would not fail to offer sacrifices for his children. And he applied the blood by faith. Parents, it's your job. Apply, plead the blood of Jesus over your children on a daily basis. Cover them, put a hedge of protection around them. If they're unsafe, Believe me, the best way to protect, keep them safe is to pray the blood of Jesus over them. In Job chapter 1 and verse 9, the devil makes a very unusual statement. He says to the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has? God did not just protect Job and his family. He protected everything that belonged to Job. So when I pray in the morning, I don't just pray for myself and my family. I pray for Cornerstone. I pray for the CGN. I pray for the CCS. I pray for the Alliance of Pentecostal Charismatic Churches. I pray for BCW. I pray for Pisgah. I pray for everything to Bible school, everything God has entrusted to me. Hallelujah. And He will bless all the work of my hands. Amen. 
And the sacrifices Job offered provided a bloodline over him and no demon in hell could break it. There was a pastor and his wife that were invited to speak in a conference in the state. The meetings went powerfully. The power of Satan was being broken in over many lives. Satan spoke to this man in the middle of the night. He said, I'm going to kill your children. There are, there are foxes in the neighboring areas and they have rabies and I'm going to send them into your homes and they're going to bite your children. They're going to kill your children. Now, I've, I experienced that on many occasions when I travel, especially the devil would whisper in my ear, I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to attack their families. Usually when I'm away, that's why it's really important for us to pray for our families, especially when we are out of town. And so this man was very troubled because he heard an audible voice. So he got two or three other pastors together. They held hands and they prayed. And the thing that they prayed for is they prayed that God would put a bloodline over his property because he had seen foxes running over around the property. And the next day he had a call from his brother. He said, you know, uh, it's very strange. I was walking along the perimeter of your property, of your fence. He said, I caught, I saw five dead foxes on the very perimeter. We tested them and all of them had rabies. I tell you, the moment those foxes tried to cross the boundary, they dropped dead like flies, hallelujah. God can protect your family, amen. I want you to know that there is power in the blood. You know, this, uh, and this is true. You can Google this. You can check me out on this. Uh, they, the anti, anti-venom vaccine for rattlesnakes and many kinds of snakes is taken from lamb's blood. For years, this has been the, the case. Researchers inject the venom of a snake into a lamb and the lamb will produce antibodies and the antibodies will form this anti-venom that neutralizes the poison. They take the antibodies and form the vaccine or the anti-venom that's used in many snake bites. I tell you, there is power in the blood of the lamb to neutralize the snake bite of an enemy. Amen. Lord, help this congregation this morning. You might say, Pastor, I pleaded the blood last week. Don't just do it last week, do it every day. All the great kings of this earth, all the great kings without exception, expanded their kingdoms by shedding the blood of innocent people and by shedding the blood of their enemies. Jesus is the only king that has expanded the kingdom by shedding his own blood for all of us. Amen. I want you to stand up with me, ladies and gentlemen. Here's a 20-word prayer that you can pray every day. Lord Jesus, I plead your blood over my sin, the sins of my family, and the sins of my nation. And if you want to, just close by saying, and send revival to Singapore. Hallelujah. Amen. But a 20-word prayer that all of us can pray. My friends, you've got, to, you've got to up the ante when it comes to prayer. God is moving in an unprecedented way right now. I want to, I want to close in prayer. I want to ask the, the, the band, we're going to just do the first chorus of this beautiful song. Yesterday we saw the coronation of a, of a king, but the coronation of every king is just a foreshadow of the coronation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is coming a day in the city of Jerusalem where all the earth shall be gathered on the Feast of Tabernacles and we will see the coronation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to Him every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth and that mouths will be made to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you're standing in this room today and you've never, never, ever confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, I tell you this, one day you will. 
whether you like it or not, your knees will be made to bow, your tongue will be loose, and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you don't have to do it in hell, you can do it here on earth and find a way into the very presence of God Almighty. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will, wherever you are, just say, God, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Will you save me, Lord Jesus? Will you save me? I call upon your name. Savior, deliverer, save me from my sins. Save me from myself. Save me from my rebellion. And the Lord would re release His grace over you and it save you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shandaraba. Lift up your hands, everybody. listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.